And the next time you're in danger or in need of help, look to the horizon and maybe, just maybe, the Toxic Avenger will be there. Have no fear, Toxie is here. It's the film that put Troma Entertainment on the map. We are still up all night, and this episode we watched The Toxic Avenger. Hello everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Rhonda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night, your only home for reviews of the films of USA Up All Night. I'm Travis Yates, joined by my co-host, Rob Katie. Rob, how's it going? It's going great. What about yourself? I'm feeling good. Listen, Rob, we're going toxic this episode. That's right. I I couldn't be happier. It is time for the Toxic Avenger. And not since Hell Comes to Frogtown have I been so excited about a movie that we've done on this show. And, you know, it's taken this long because of a clerical error of all things. Now, Rob, we have a database with all the USA Up All Night films on it. And I was shocked to see my initial search for the Toxic Avenger come up empty. But uh, I must have spelled something wrong in the search because at a second look, it revealed that the Toxic Avenger and its sequels aired quite a few times. And it makes sense as Troma and Toxie seem like a match made in heaven with USA Up All Night. What were your initial thoughts when we settled on the Toxic Avenger for this episode's movie? Uh, excitement. You know, I, I don't think I've watched it since seeing it on USA up all night, you know, and I probably caught it multiple times on USA up all night. So, you know, it's one of those ones that I have fond memories for. And it's, it's always interesting to take a second look and see, does it still hold up? And, and we'll find out if it does find out. Yeah. Yeah. The film is a comedy slash horror flick about a nerd turned into a superhero seeking revenge, but it became so much more than that to Troma Entertainment. Rob, we briefly touched on Troma in the Surf Nazis Must Die episode because the film was distributed by Troma, but it wasn't produced and and filmed by Troma, so it didn't have that full-blown Troma feel to it. So let's, let's take a step back and first just look at the history of Troma. Uh, Troma Entertainment was founded by two Yale graduates, of all things, <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hers. Kaufman went on to work for Canon Films after graduating in 1968, and we're starting to see the B-movie tapestry take shape here. Uh, Kaufman cast fellow classmate Michael Hers in his first feature film while in college, and then Hers would actually go on to law school at NYU after Yale. Hers had the screenwriting bug, and in 1973, he reconnected with Kaufman and was hired on the production of the canon film Sugar Cookies, a film co-written by Kaufman and produced by Oliver Stone. Yes, that (laughs) Oliver Stone. So if you've asked yourself why in the world is a film professor and his science buddy doing a podcast about B-movies, here's your answer. I mean, the importance of B-movies, I think, to burgeoning voices in the film industry cannot be overstated. Would you agree, Rob? Oh, 100%. I mean, they, they uh, what is the quote? They call, you know, uh, Toxic Avenger, the, you know, the film that built trauma, basically. And, and, you know, prior to that, they had been steeped in the world of of raunchy sex comedies and and realized you know to branch out and go into horror you know which you know is one of the most sort of sort of uh politically based um genres in movies that you know they could do a lot more say a lot more and and garner you know more attention than they were previously getting absolutely and it worked uh, after Sugar Cookies, Kaufman and Hers would officially form Troma Entertainment and began producing and distributing low-budget 
action and comedy films. It took a few years, but the company did begin to take off at the turn of the decade with the production of a series of popular sex comedies, as you referenced, between 1979 and 1981. This included Squeeze Play, Waitress, and Stuck on You. And Rob, some fun trivia for you and our listeners. You might already know this. Somewhere in this time period of the mid to late 1970s, Troma distributed a film called Sizzle Beach, USA also known as Malibu Hot Summer. Do you know why this is important, Rob? I should. There's something yeah. tickling my brain, but it's not. I'm not making the connection right now. Yeah, it's, it features the, the movie debut of a one Mr. Kevin Costner. <laughs> of course it does. So there you go. According to Costner, it was filmed between 78 and 79, but it was not released until 1981. But then there's, I've seen some reports that, that say it was filmed even all the way back in 1974. So some, oh. some a very obscure. Anytime a movie has two titles, you know, yeah, yeah, you know it's obscure. <laughs> uh, well, but, it's interesting too because I I have no familiarity with Troma's um, comedies or action movies. You know, it's it's basically they came on the map for me with this movie. Yeah, I I didn't either until I read Lloyd Kaufman's book. And, and he went into detail of those earlier films that I was not familiar with at all. Uh, it, but, you know, it, it all leads to this seminal film and character that Trauma Entertainment would become synonymous with, as you mentioned, The Toxic Avenger. This film is a fascinating amalgamation of comedy, horror, and superhero genre. It quickly became a cult classic, and it spawned three sequels, an animated series, a video game, and a musical and Rob, the timing of this episode couldn't be better because we can now add reboot to that list <laughs> yes. because the Toxic Avenger is getting a remake from Legendary Entertainment starring Peter Dinklage. How awesome is that? Completely awesome. And, it, and it's being uh, written and directed by Macon Blair, who has been in, uh, I predominantly am aware of him as an actor in some some smaller films that I've seen that I've, I've really enjoyed. So, yeah, and I, I'm aware he's, you know, writing and directing, but I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've seen anything he's done. Either way, I'm, I'm uh, interested to see where he takes this. He did uh, his best known film as a director was 2017's I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which oh, was an that original was great. Netflix film. Yeah, and I loved that one, too, uh, with uh, Elijah Wood. as a <laughs> If you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing just for his performance. He's an unbelievably awkward character, in it, and it's, it's great. Excellent. And uh, uh, Legendary also, uh, so this is according to Variety magazine, Legendary acquired the rights to the franchise in 2018, and then the studio brought on Toxic creators Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hers from Troma as the producers. So this is great news, as you know. Now we know that Toxie will be handled with love and care, with Kaufman and Hers on board assisting with the production. You know, making sure that the original spirit of the character is in is in its original hands. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, it was they had attempted to reboot it years ago like i want to say 2010 or something like that and it just never never really got off the ground and and got moving uh fortunately because as you just indicated it's back in the right hands yeah there's been a few attempts stop stop and start and uh, i i love one i love that this is going to be great with peter dinklage i love going in that direction with with him and just having the original filmmakers the creators of this entire franchise on board as well. So, and I, and I believe they cast a a, a newer um, young uh, young man. Uh, he might he might even be younger than that. Might still be a kid uh, actor that has been in a couple things recently. So there's been a little bit more on the the casting front. Yes, picking up steam, picking up steam. So a- anxiously awaiting to 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 see some of the hopefully production stills and, and, and photos coming out of that. So Rob, speaking of remakes of classic films, you and I recently stumbled across an article from the taste of cinema website, 10 horror remakes that surpassed their originals. Now, uh, by now everyone knows that horror is your jam. So I'm going to defer to you as our resident horror expert to weigh in on this list. All right. So let's just start from 10 right. down to one. And I know you've seen, 
many of these. So you can you can give us your opinion here. Number 10 is Sorority Row, which I love Taste of Cinema describes as a case of a not-so-great horror movie being remade into another not-so-great horror movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's one of the two on the list I have not seen. Well, so I, I no comment. That's all right. We'll just defer to their uh, their take then on that. Number nine is The Blob, a classic, which I I love that remake. It has some super impressive gore moments in that that come kind of out of nowhere. It's it's a yeah, it's a fun watch. Nice. Number eight, Last House on the Left. I I'm not a huge fan of that one. I I, I hated how it ended. Um, I mean, I've the, the whole series is sort of problematic with the subject matter to begin with. And, and, uh, it's really dark and, and goes to some pretty intense places, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that one. Number seven, the crazies. I, I, a really fun one. I think it far exceeds the original and is kind of sort of a take off the zombie genre more along the lines of like 28 days later. That was a very fun, Tense watch. Yeah, big fan of both of them, and I love the just the the nature of the the kind of out of the way small town that mm, yeah. already makes you feel you know secluded and alone, and then you have all the stuff that's happening. Number six, The Ring. Uh, that one's that's a scary movie. That's it's one of the more recent movies that um, you know I don't scare easy with stuff like this and. And that one had a few scenes that were really, I thought, unnerving and, and really well done. And I have a lot of love for the original, too, but they're wildly different paced movies. And, and the first sort of is a mastery of just a slow building dread. And this hits on more intense moments than the original. Which I think is great in your remakes, right? I mean, you don't want... the. The dreaded shot-for-shot remake is is that is a terrible review, even if it's a classic, right? You need to put a new spin on whatever project it is that you're rebooting or remaking, right? I think so. I think they, those end up being more successful. Like a, a prime example is the movie Wreck, which was redone as Quarantine. Yeah. Both, you know, in a bottle, if you'd seen either one, they're, they're both really good. But Quarantine is like beat for beat, shot for shot you know, identical, just replaced with, you know, American actors. And it's like, why, why bother at that point? Right. Because people hate watch uh, reading subtitles, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, all right. If you haven't watched a movie with subtitles, just give it a shot. Just give you it used, 15 yeah. minutes. I think you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised once you get immersed into the story and you won't even realize that you're reading the subtitles. So, but that's just a sidebar. All right. Yeah. Yeah. A, a sidebar to our sidebar. All right. Number five, <laughs> Maniac. Uh, the other one I haven't seen. It's on my list. I just haven't been able to to find it on any of the services I subscribe to to be able to see that one yet. I've heard really good things about it. It apparently does a lot of um, uh, you know POV shots from the killer. Uh, so just a different take, a different angle. All right. So moving into then the top four, I feel like I, I'm curious to hear your take on the remix because I feel like these are more made the top of the list because of the originals and how good the originals were. So number four is evil dead. I like it. It's a, it's a very different movie. Um, but it, it still does a good job has some, so it is, has a lot of sort of similar beats and moments, but they add enough to, to make it different. And, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was, uh, went in with very low expectations, um, because I have so much love for the originals you know, Evil Dead 1, 2, and 3, and it, I, I think it's good. You know, you and I talk quite a bit about 70s cinema and 70s horror films, and, you know, one of the things that I like to say is that the grittiness of this, of the, of the film era adds to, a, adds a layer of creepiness to these films that were made in this, in, it's, you know, yeah. when you put the polish on a horror film, I think you take away some of the eeriness to it and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's hard when you start remaking these classic late 70s early to you know, even mid 80s films that have a grindhouse feel to them yeah yeah it's, it's absolutely true and i think that's one of the one of the things that like rob zombie does successfully is he adds that mm -hmm. sort of that aesthetic back to a lot of his movies and and uh you know his movies are hit and miss for me but uh he definitely accomplishes that giving it that that grimier feel right 
All right, number three, The Hills Have Eyes. I, I love this this remake. I think it far and away exceeds the original and is just super tense and has just some bonkers moments in it. It's, it's probably near the top, if not the top of my list of, of remakes. I'm with you there. It, 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 is, it is a creepy, yeah. creepy film. Uh, number two, I was surprised if we're ranking remakes here. Number two, House of Wax. Yeah, that's way too high on that yeah. list. Um, I sort of feel like they do about Sorority Row is is taking sort of a bad movie, although I, I feel like the original had some camp to it that mm-hmm. I enjoyed, and this wipes away the camp and, I don't know, just to me inserted some really bad actors, and, and uh, it has some good scenes in it and has some creepy moments, but, uh, you know, I just I feel like a bad movie being remade as a bad movie okay and then number one and i take umbrage with this only because i don't know how you could put dario argento's suspiria and then say uh that the remake surpassed its original so i don't know i'm, I'm curious to hear your take on, on this. yeah one. i i liked it but it's it's hard to even call that a remake i mean it is but it does take you know because the original is is really part of a trilogy and they take pieces of that trilogy and weave it into, mm-hmm. you know, this. So it, eh, you know, a remake, yeah, but but you're you're kind of cheating by pulling in some more of the story. Um, I didn't love it as much as, you know, all the critics seemed to love it. It definitely had some just out there moments that were, you know, things you haven't seen before. And and uh, but it was, I thought, over long and really slow at moments. And that sort of hurt it for me. But, uh, yeah, not a bad movie. I mean, certainly incredibly well made. So I think that we are both in agreement that The Hills Have Eyes should probably be sitting at the top of this list. Well, I mean, if we're going to go all time, I would have to probably say The Thing should be the top of the right. list. Right. So you had a few horror remakes of note as well to add to the list. The thing, of course, now you're saying being at the top of the list. So yeah, well, how, how about a few others that should have been on this list? So I, I appreciate, um, you know, even though it's a Zack Snyder film, his remake of Dawn of the Dead, yeah. you know, just because it kind of, it changed things up so much and introduced, you know, well, quote unquote, introduced fast zombies. Mm-hmm. And I, I was entertained by it. Um, you know, like all his stuff, it's sort of popcorn fun. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of Let Me In as well, which is a remake of Let the Right One In. Um, and it it does enough different um that it's its own sort of unique story. And, and I think that's near the top of my list of remakes as well. And then, of course, you have Fright Night, which is stupid fun. I, I like the original better, but there were there were moments in this one that, that were good. Um, and The Fly is probably near the top of the list as well. Um, just uh, Jeff Goldblum's performance in that is, yeah. you know, incredible. And, of course, the effects, too. And I thought the Amityville Horror movie with um, – uh, I just lost his name. Um, Ryan, uh, big time actor. Gosling? Nope. Gosling. Reynolds. Uh, he was Green Lantern. Yes, Ryan Reynolds. There you go. Jeez. I, that did some some interesting things, too, and he's good in it. And then, although I haven't seen it, I've heard good things about the Halloween remake, you know, Zombies film, but I still haven't seen that one because, you know, the slashers aren't really, you know, my, my go to yeah. when it comes to horror. All right. I've heard, I've yeah. heard high, high praise for that. Uh, excellent list there, Rob. And, and some of those, I think, I agree, should have should have replaced some of the, the ones on the Taste of Cinema's list. But, uh, you know, an interesting concept to think about of, of it, remakes and, and how do they compare, how do they stand the test of time compared to the originals. So good stuff. All right, so let's get back to our movie for today's episode toxic avenger and trauma trauma would go on to produce b-movie classics such as classes class of newcomb high tromeo and juliet and sergeant kabuki man nypd which revisits the unlikely superhero trope that works so well in the toxic avenger uh have you seen any of these rob do you have fond memories of some of these i I have i i you know the um uh Tromeo and Juliet has been on my list for years, and I just have never gotten around to seeing it. But I, I sort of have heard, read some things that said that is kind of the 
the pinnacle of trauma. So I don't know what's taken me so long. Maybe with this uh, viewing of Toxic Avenger, I'll get the the steam I need to to get off my butt and go watch that one. But uh, yeah, I've seen uh, I don't know countless. I've seen so many of their other movies, and you know they're all you know goofy fun. I still think Toxie's the most successful, but they all have you know fun stupid elements that it's hard not to to have a good time when you're watching. Yeah, and Class of Newcom High, of course, spawns some yes. sequels as well. Return, yep. return to Newcom High, uh, and Sergeant Kabuki Man is out there. So, um, yeah, it's all good stuff. All right, The Toxic Avenger was filmed in various New Jersey location and in Peekskill, New York, in 1983 with a budget of around five hundred thousand dollars. So, pretty decent budget uh, for a trauma film at this point. It was released as a midnight movie in New York City in May of 1984, and it quickly gained a cult following. And it was released nationwide in the U.S. in April of 1986. And I, I don't know if you came across anything in your research, Rob. I don't know if this was the VHS release. Uh, I feel like it might have been because I feel like it was right around this time when I was introduced to the film. I don't know if it, if it had an, a nationwide theatrical release. Uh, yeah, I, I had a hard time finding. I did find a box office number, but I didn't see any real reference to theatrical releases. So I, 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 I sort of made the same assumption you did. Is that was probably, you know, it hitting you know the VHS market. Yeah, especially given the midnight theatrical run that it had in New York yeah. uh, at at a single theater. So I feel like then it yeah, and and they're straight to 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 video. Uh, you know, that was their M.O. throughout their entire uh, run. So, you know, Troma Entertainment is guerrilla filmmaking at its finest. And if you're not familiar with the term, guerrilla filmmaking is an independent filmmaking style that takes its name from guerrilla warfare. So tactical units known for their small, small size and mobility. You know, guerrilla filmmaking is a lean, mean film crew that can get in and out of locations quickly. So in The Toxic Avenger... The Tromaville Health Club was just a regular New Jersey health club, and most of the indoor locations were filmed in an abandoned hospital. Uh, they filmed the toxic waste truck scene without a permit, and the police received several calls from concerned citizens, <laughs> fearful about real toxic waste being transported on the truck. So, you know, again, <laughs> in guerrilla filmmaking fashion, if you don't get the cops called on you, you're not doing it right. Absolutely. So the idea of the Toxic Avenger is not all that far-fetched when you research its beginnings. So so Lloyd Kaufman credits Frankenstein as an inspiration for Toxie and says the concept of only killing bad people came from a screenplay, Night of the Witch, that Kaufman co-wrote with Stan Lee. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm sure that's where, you know, sort of the influences clearly of the Incredible Hulk come in, too. Uh, and I just love his sort of lineage of, of you know, working with uh, just incredible people. Um, but he's, you know, as you said, doing this sort of guerrilla style. Yeah, so, okay, so Kaufman says, that, and, and here, I think this, this kind of lends some insight into... Lloyd Kaufman, he says that the idea of Tromaville, uh, the town, the fictional town that first appears in the Toxic Avenger movie and would would later appear in many other trauma films, came from Preston Sturgis, who is an Oscar winning screenwriter and director from the classical Hollywood era who made screwball comedies and was really the first big name from that era in any film era to begin directing his own scripts. So an inspiration for Kaufman with that entrepreneurship when it came to filmmaking of saying, hey, I'm going to write and direct my own stuff. I'm going to do it the way I want to. Uh, And, you know, Kaufman, you look at his ties with Stan Lee, with Oliver Stone, with, you know, with he he could have gone on to Hollywood. Clearly has chops. He he chose to do it his own way. Well, and, well, I, and I, I have to question if he would have found success in Hollywood. Like he's, he's kind of a wacky dude. And I think so this sort of just modus just is, is true to him and, and suits him that it may not have, you know, been like oil and water if he had moved on to Hollywood. Yeah, I feel like he was turned off by 
He did. Ha- he was. Um, I think he was a production assistant on Rocky. Yeah. And so he got a taste of it, and I don't think that he liked what he saw. And you know, he had this kind of wacky vision that is, you know, goes back to that screwball comedy uh, that Preston Sturgis, you know, uh, came up with way back in the you know '40s, and he, you know, turned that into a you know '70s and '80s <laughs> film vision that people might not have quite been ready for or mainstream wasn't ready for, but it's what he wanted to do and he wanted to make, and he did it his way. I love it. I love him for it. Uh, another interesting tidbit about this film, Rob, the, the creature in the film is never actually called the Toxic Avenger or Toxie, as he would eventually be known, because the film's working title was actually The Monster Hero. So that's why in the film, he's always referred to as the monster hero you see in all the, the mm-hmm. you know, spinning newspapers, the, the monster newspapers, hero. Yeah. yeah. The name change to the Toxic Avenger was last minute. And so it was only in the sequels that the Toxic Avenger was finally referenced. Um, you know, the monster hero just doesn't have the same ring to it, don't <laughs> yes. you think? Well, certainly wouldn't have spawned an animated TV show. <laughs> right, definitely. And finally, Rob, just such a fun fact about the movie, uh, and maybe the most obscure fact, Robert Pritchard, who plays Slug, who we'll get to in just a bit, um, <laughs> one of the bad guys, he first met his on-screen girlfriend in the film, Wanda, played by Jennifer Baptist, on the set of the film. They married in real life <laughs> two years later and are still married today. Oh, wow. Good for them. Yeah. So pretty cool. Pretty cool there. All right. The Toxic Avenger premiered on USA Up All Night on February 16th, 1991. The second film that evening was The Toxic Avenger Part 2. So a great night of Up All Night yeah, for no trauma fans. Yeah, The movie would play seven more times on Up All Night, and including the sequels, Toxie made a total of 19 appearances on Up wow. All Night. Which surprises me then why I, I don't think I've seen all four. Yeah, they, the, the one, two, and three all played. Four, I think, might have been made. Oh, no, that's, that's right. Four is too recent. After, right, after yeah. they stopped. Uh, either airing these types of films or maybe altogether. I can't remember when four was made, but yeah, I want to say it was like 2000. It was, yeah. uh, You know, there was a a, quite a gap from the, from three. All right. So let's, let's break this movie down a little bit. Shall we Rob? Uh, Absolutely. If you weren't alive in the late 1970s or early eighties, you missed out on the popularity of, you know, health clubs and health spas. (laughs) They kind (laughs) of swept the nation and that's kind of at the heart of the film here, this is where we open up our film in the town of Tromaville, New Jersey, dubbed the toxic chemical capital of the world. Yes. And I love the whole just the, the intro of <clears throat> displaying all the waste that's stored in the town and sort of setting the stage for, you know, this is going to be a, a movie with an environmental message. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, at the time, too, you know, you know, remember back in the mid '80s. You know, you acid rain was a thing. I remember oh, being yeah. fearful yeah. of acid rain as a kid. I mean, this, this this was very timely. It seems silly now, but it was. You know, the fact that people were calling in legitimate worries to the police that a truck was, you know, motoring down the street with toxic chemicals in its, you know, on the truck bed was legit in 1983, you know? Well, it's high time for producing nukes here. And yeah, you, you've got toxic waste as a as a hot button issue. of Where are we going to store it? We, you know, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you talk about influences, we've talked a lot about the influences on trauma. Let's talk about the influences by trauma, because, boy, this film starts and ends with a really classic narration that just totally reminded me of the way Anchorman was (laughs) anchored with the narration at the beginning and the end. I could see that. I didn't make the connection, but as soon as you said it, yeah, Yeah. I can absolutely see see it. All right. So we start at the Tromaville Health Spa, and I love love (laughs) hers and Kaufman's vision of a health club here. (laughs) I mean, it's a place where just degenerates hang out and bully everyone. And, you know, there seems to be just someone 
dancing in the background of every scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you cover every possible base in this scene. There's, there's a couple making out, there's a random guy doing karate. You know, there's, you know, people obviously working out, there's people smoking. There's like, you know, over the top, you know, homosexual couple. There's, you just run down the list. You know, they've got a, a, a larger woman stuffing her face while at the gym. It's just whatever you could imagine. Yeah, guys smoking gonna, while working out, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, just everything. Hand right? through the scene, you're going to see it all. If you weren't hanging out at the health club in 1985, you weren't hanging out. All right. That's just the way it is. At least if you watch this, that's what you think. So this is where we meet Melvin Junko, the spa janitor who just gets ridiculed at every turn by specifically by four of the most despicable people you will ever meet in real life or in a movie. Slug and Bozo and their girlfriends, Wanda and Julie. Yeah. Uh I mean, to emphasize just how awful this foursome is, we get the infamous scene where they like to go out and play a game of getting points for running people over. Now, which was like a, a running joke of the time of you know that that I, you know people I knew played it in their car, like oh, what what points would you get for for you know running into somebody doing a certain activity and. You know, but again, it was a, a joke, just a stupid game you played as you drove around. But <laughs> this lovely gang did it for real. Yeah, they they and not only did they do it for real, they paid double for kids, double points. Yes. And of course, they come across a kid on a bicycle. So Bozo is driving. He first slams into the kid, launching him off his bike and then backs up, running over his head, exploding it and likely leading to the warning that we see at the beginning of the film of gratuitous <laughs> violence, uh, yes. you know, coming our way. Uh, this was of course a watermelon filled with cranberry sauce that, that, uh, Kaufman would write about in his, in his book. So just some great practical and it looks really it's surprisingly disgusting. effective. It does. Yes. It does. Um, the gals even get out and take Polaroids of it. And then later we see close-ups of the Polaroids. Ah. Oh, it's, well, and Wanda then uses the Polaroids to uh, oh. achieve some self-satisfaction. So yeah. Yeah, that's the kind, of, kind yeah. of people we're dealing with. Right. So the four play a trick on Melvin when Sarah pretends to like him and seduces him in the locker room. And she's wearing a pink bikini and says she wants him to wear something pink, too, and hands him a pink leotard and tutu, which would later become quite infamous synonymous with the character yeah. Yeah. so she asks melvin to meet her at the pool and when he does when he gets down there the lights are out he thinks he's found her and starts making out with her and then of course they flip the lights on and melvin's making out with a sheep and this was such a weird scene the entire health club about <laughs> what 30 40 people crammed into this little little room yeah. Just start laughing in the face of Melvin, who's wearing this pink tutu. But then he, like, runs away in embarrassment, and they start chasing him. And this leads him to jump out of the second-story window of the health club. Of course, Melvin doesn't land in the street because, as we mentioned earlier, there's a semi-truck with toxic barrels uh, in the truck bed parked outside the club. And Melvin ends up headfirst in one of the barrels, and his skin starts oozing, and he eventually catches fire, leading to another memorable scene, the transformation of Melvin into the toxic <laughs> Avenger. Now, Rob, this is a low-budget B-movie uh, with ridiculous plot and characters, but I was so impressed with the transformation here from a costume design standpoint. What did you think of Melvin's transformation to Toxie? Yeah, it... Um Again, like to, to go back to the surprisingly effective it for the budget and everything else you're looking at. I had forgotten what they achieved here, and, and it's really good for you know such a limited budget and clearly you know some editing and but you know very reminiscent of uh, a, a Werewolf in London, you know, Mer sorry, American Werewolf in London. Or sort of, also, I was kind of reminded of scenes from, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, the William Hurt movie, Altered States. Okay. Where there's a lot of, like, flesh bubbling yeah, yeah. And, and things like that, yeah. Well, and you mentioned The Fly earlier, and I, I got that kind of vibe as well, along with a little bit of sloth from The Goonies. 
which not even sure. I think this might have even been pre-sloth. So I don't know if sloth yeah, inspired I, Toxie or Toxie inspired <laughs> sloth, but just it, it, the misshapen head, I think, gave me the yeah, and yeah. the ridiculous power that he had. Okay, so they waste no time in establishing the Toxic Avenger as a superhero. As soon as he leaves his house, he comes across three gang members. Cigar Face, Knuckles, and Nipples are their name, in case you, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, love those names. And they are assaulting a police officer for refusing to take a payoff. So Toxie easily handles the three in just the grossest fashion. I mean, he rips the scalps off two of them. He pulls the eyeball, eyeballs out of a third and then eventually smashes two of their skulls together to the point that their brains are falling out. Um, and then as Toxie approaches the police officer, he speaks, and it's hilarious. Here's the first time we hear Toxie speak. Don't worry. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. I don't know what came over me. I just couldn't control myself. I've never done anything like this before. It's so hilarious because he sounds just so normal and calm. I think you described it as silky smooth. Yeah, just buttery vocals coming out of this thing. He's his own straight man, you know? I mean, he's good cop and bad cop, Murtaugh and Ruggs all together. It's pretty brilliant. It's a different actor than the guy physically playing him. It is. The, vo- yeah, yeah, the voice yeah. actor was different. Yeah. So there were, th- I mean, technically three when then you count Melvin, too. So it take, <laughs> takes go. three people to pull together <laughs> for one Toxie. Um, all right. We get more sympathy for Toxie when he returns home and scares even his own mother, who slams the door in his face because she doesn't recognize him. So he ends up going back to the toxic chemical dump where he cleans things up and kind of makes it his home and lays down in this blanket in this just sad, sad scene. Takes a nap. Yeah. Uh, So the plot begins to come together in this just hilarious scene where the mayor and some other local politicians are at a party with, like, dancing girls all around them, and they're discussing the value of the present location of the toxic waste dump and that moving the dump near the town's water reservoir would be a solution. And then they all, like... Uh, let out these maniacal laughs as, and I don't know if you'd pick this up, Rob, but a copy of the New York Post sits between them with the headline that says, Top Politicians Taped at Sex Parties. <laughs> oh, I missed that. As, as they're sitting there as the top politicians in their town at a sex party. So Troma tra- really hitting us over the head here with the, with the message of what's happening in the scene that we're watching. Well, there's quite a bit of that when when the newspapers do arrive later too. So yeah, I'm shocked. I guess I wasn't I wasn't cued in yet to need to pay attention to the newspapers. Yeah, well, it was just like awkwardly sitting on the couch between two of them, and yeah, I had to pause it when I saw there was a headline. I'm always looking for that, and so when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally telling us what's happening right here. It's good stuff. Uh, the way the villains are created by Kaufman and hers is just so unique. I mean, every single villain is so over the top. There's <laughs> no like levels of depravity. They're all turned <laughs> up to 11. You know, Bozo and his friends smashed a kid's head with their car. When nope. three guys rob a Mexican restaurant, one of the guys points a shotgun at a toddler asking if she likes tacos. And it's reported that that actor quit after that scene oh really yeah um because that was a little over the top oh i mean that whole scene yeah he he was horrible in that scene just you know starts indiscriminately taking people out uh and then it was followed by a uncomfortable and and unnecessary scene where they first shoot a blind woman seeing eye dog and then begin to assault her um in inappropriate ways before toxie saves the day um you know this is as you mentioned earlier trauma's first foray into the horror genre and i know it's a mixed genre with comedy but you know i i think they're laying it on a bit too thick in this scene as you said (laughs) you know i mean do you agree here well i mean in in one scene we get you know a gun pointed at a baby a dog shot and a, a woman assaulted. So, I mean, you're you're checking some of the the most sort of sensitive boxes for people. Um, so yeah, I, I could I, you know see a guy coming on set to play this you know really small part and being like, what the hell did I sign up? And I'm for? pointing a <laughs> shotgun at a baby. I'm not okay with that. 
Um, Kaufman actually said that the only complaints that they had that were written to their office was about the dog, shooting the dog. Well, I mean, there's a whole website dedicated to that if, you know, does the dog die or <laughs> .com or something along those lines where if, if you know, and for a lot of people, that's their hot button. So it's it's right you know. up there with the great cinematic mysteries, right? It's like, what is Rosebud? <laughs> and it did the dog from the Toxic Avenger <laughs> Mexican restaurant survive. Yeah. Uh, there's no shortage of just unbridled comical violence in the film. And in this aforementioned scene in this Mexican restaurant, Toxie disposes of the bad guys by one ripping a guy's arm off and beating him with it before shoving him into an oven Two, filling a guy's mouth with milk, ice cream, and chocolate and a little cherry <laughs> on top before mashing his face into a milkshake mixer, which I just completely lost it because like, as he's doing it, Toxie's letting out these like different groans yeah, <laughs> that he yeah. does. And like every time he'd put a new topping on, he'd let out a different, uh, level of groan he'd be like rrr, rrr. <laughs> and then three shoving a guy into the oil fryer, fryer and yeah, then was... his signature move Toxie always finds a mop <laughs> and you know cleans up a little bit after killing yeah. the bad guys leaves yeah. his his mop his he, he was always calling card calling card is the mop left on the on the on top of the dead bad guy Rob, is this where the phrase mopping the floor with someone in a fight came from? Did the Toxic Avenger actually spawn, you know, I'm going to mop the floor with you? Did we just discover this here and now? I think we did. I, I'm going to say yes. Yes, I am too. All right. Credit to Toxic Avenger. Uh, so Toxic Toxie helps the blind woman out of the restaurant and back to her house. And uh, we haven't actually seen Toxie's face at this point in the film. Some pretty clever filmmaking on Troma's part because uh and you know this takes a lot of planning to not show your protagonist's face with a lot of action scenes so um you know pretty pretty planned out stuff here and uh i think that you know toxie befriends sarah the blind girl you know she asks to feel his face and he doesn't want to let her saying you know he's got a bad case of acne <laughs> Um, and so it's I, just interesting that, you know, Sarah can't see him and neither have we yet. So that was pretty, pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we do finally get the full Toxie reveal when he returns to the Tromaville Health Club and gets his revenge on Wanda in the sauna in a scene where you had mentioned earlier she um, has the Polaroids of the um, victims that they uh, had had from running them down in the car and she was enjoying herself and then uh toxie well he <laughs> death by hot stone we'll call yeah. it <laughs> yeah I, I, I was left at you know after the scene wondering is that is that the end of her and then we never see her again so you assume so but yeah he just scoops her up and drops her on the hot stones in the sauna and that's that's the end of wanda yeah, it's interesting because we several of the deaths here occur on an off-screen, and I'll, I'll revisit that in a minute. So, okay, we get a montage of Toxie helping all kinds of people around town. Rob, did you have a favorite moment from the montage? Uh, nothing that, that jumped out. I mean, I I chuckled the, the whole way through, you know, as, as he's, the town is just totally embracing him as he does all these yeah. super kind, heroic acts. Helping old ladies across the street. <laughs> across the street. And... I, I loved the return of Cigar Face. You know, one of the, uh, the, the one initial, one of the three initial bad guys from Toxie's first encounter. Um, after the change from Melvin to Toxie and Cigar Face actually survived and he returns with five other bad guys with guns and they encircle Toxie (laughs) and they all shoot and Toxie leaps up high in the air and like and they all shoot each other I love that of course they all shoot each other yes yeah the the, and that's not the only sort of montage we get in this movie too which they definitely employ some some just you know, very obvious. And to me, it came across in this film anyway, humorous techniques in this with, you know, all the, the jump cuts and, and to avoid sort of segue into new, new scenes, a bunch of different montages. And yeah, I just, just love how you can just at face value see, well, here's how they're cutting costs. Yeah. Well, and then at one point there was like a random, a random meanwhile 
on the middle yeah. of on the middle of the screen, and it, it wasn't necessary. I mean, it was a logical cut, so we didn't need him. Meanwhile, it was just we knew it was it was just going to the next scene. Yeah, yeah. We we almost got back to back montages because then we get Toxie and Sarah falling in love. Yeah, um, so sweet. And so yeah, we get them you know making love and dancing, and they turn Toxie's trailer in the chemical waste dump <laughs> into a you know cute little home. I thought that was a really funny scene. So. Uh, Toxie eventually confronts Julie, the one that tricked him into going down into the pool, uh, and then eventually leading to him jumping out of the window and you know turning into Toxie. And the movie flips the script here on the horror genre trope of the monster chasing the beautiful blonde, because this time the monster is our hero chasing the monster, the beautiful blonde. The beautiful blonde. Yeah, I, I, you know my notes in all caps are like it this is where it suddenly turns into a slasher film. This whole scene is just ripped straight out of, you know, one of those movies, except with the, you know, the role reversal as you just described. Yeah. And, and he eventually gets to Julie, but again, uh, we don't really get to see his, the comeuppance here because it it is a slasher flick scene as he holds up a pair of scissors out of nowhere. (laughs) I don't know where those came from. Not sure why he even needs them, right? Too, with the strength he's shown, yeah, and all the creative ways that he's been, you know, offing everybody, and then he's just got this pair of scissors. Um, she screams, and then we cut to Bozo screaming, yeah. yelling that he's stressed, which is like a thing with him that he did through the whole movie, uh, because Julie's not there with the car. So it's interesting because Kaufman and hers had uh, no issues with gratuitous violence throughout this film when it came to the men but it seemed so far at least as if he spared the women they're 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 dying off screen well i mean they they were uh, oftentimes topless during their scene so maybe it's it's a trade-off you know you well it's again you've got to you've got to save money somewhere so what's yeah what maybe they had uh cheaper male body special effects dummies or something that they could just use rather than casting new ones for women. Who knows? It did. Yeah. I just took it as a, a cost cutting measure. Well, but I, yeah, it is interesting yeah. that it was only the women. Well, well, and I was wondering about that, but then of course, two scenes later, I thought, no, no, it, it must just be something like that. The cost cutting or something because <laughs> so, so Toxie confronts Bozo and slug and he, and he tosses slug out of the moving car um, presumably to die because, like you said, same thing. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. We never see him again, so we assume yeah. he's dead. Uh, and then he drives the car off the big hill with Toxie and Bozo in it. The car explodes, but then the next morning, you know, Toxie just gets out of the burnt car and shakes it off <laughs> and moves on. But then he walks into a dry cleaners where uh, an old li- little lady, Mrs. Haskell, is waiting, and uh, Toxie grabs her. Tosses her into a laundry machine and then slams a press machine onto her, killing her. So, so much for no gratuitous violence against women in the movie. <laughs> and, and my notes here are like, I'm not sure who she was. Yeah, this was poorly <laughs> conceived. Uh, it took a while for this to unfold. The local I must have missed it unfolding, too. Okay, so the local papers who at this point had championed Toxie as the hero... Uh, hero monster, albeit, um, now says he's killed an innocent woman and tur- and starts to turn on him. But then we find out that Toxie's instincts were right. She was a criminal. And in a few scenes later, the cops are saying, oh, well, you know, she's got this rap sheet. She was, I think they even said, like, she was in slave trade, like something really bizarre. And she had this long rap sheet. But the bottom line was she ended up being a criminal. So Toxie's instinct to get rid of this evil lady was right. But not not instinct. We've got the German scientist explaining Uh, to us that he is drawn to I can't I can't do a German accent right now, but drawn to to evil to take it out. Yes. So the police and the mayor dub Toxie a menace and want to kill him, of course, because they're afraid that he's eventually going to get to them and their plot yeah. to, you know, move the the chemical waste dump. Well, Toxie also thinks that he's killed an innocent woman and now he can't, you know, be trusted. And so he and Sarah hatch a plan to escape to his family farm because he, you know, he's worried about being a danger to society. Okay, Rob, 
this plot is barely hanging together at this point. As you mentioned, you didn't even catch the part about the, you know, Mrs. Haskell being evil, but I don't care. Like normally yeah. I'm bothered by the lack of a plot at this point and in our movies, but I'm here to see Toxie get his revenge and just the ridiculous creative ways that he finds to do it. Like, where are you with the plot at this point? Fully on board. Like, yeah, none of that, you know, it, it made me laugh that I was like, wait, who was she? And just <laughs> laughed and moved on. Like didn't, didn't care. didn't affect the experience at all. Yeah. So the mayor calls in the National Guard and a manhunt begins for Toxie. They finally find him and Sarah secluded in a camp or in a, in a little field they're camping. But then the entire town shows up. The police, the National Guard. I love how like all the townspeople are just mingled, intermingled with the National Guard and the police. The, like the tanks, uh, you know, giant <laughs> cannon is like hanging over the head of like normal townspeople well you neglect to mention too that that suddenly the chief of police is very german and a huge Uh, fan of hitler yeah like that just comes out of nowhere that got uncomfortable (laughs) well he was like he had a german accent and at one point he said like nine nine no 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 so that was yeah Yeah. they but But they they just turned as you said turned it to 12 and yeah, so let's let's pour it on for this scene. Right. Again, in case we're not fully sure that he's a bad guy, he's got to you know he's got to meet that eleven scale of a villain. So, um, so okay, Toxie comes out of the tent, and the townspeople that Toxie had helped, they all run up and they stand up for him. But the mayor tries to kill Toxie. Uh, Toxie corners him and with everyone watching he says I love this <laughs> let's see if you have any guts and then reaches into the very bulbous large mayor's stomach and pulls out his intestines and then says to Officer O'Clancy which was the very first cop that he helped there in the beginning scene against the, the three uh, ridiculously named criminals get rid of this toxic waste <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, mind you, and the, everyone cheers. Yeah, yeah. After and, witnessing this horrific, <laughs> gory moment, and we know what the mayor's done, but yeah. no one else should. The mayor never confessed to this whole shady deal at this point of moving the the, the waste dump to the town's reservoir. So Toxie's just celebrated for killing the pushy mayor. <laughs> Oh. Uh, it was perfect with a great not not one not one great line of let's see if you have any guts but two get rid of this toxic waste well and then you know spiral into the completely on the nose you know butt rock and theme song <laughs> yes closing narration that lets us know the next time we're in trouble look to the horizon because we might see the toxic avenger roll credits and play that sweet soundtrack body talk <laughs> from sandy farina uh so yeah uh what do you think of the of the rather rapid kind of ending here to the toxic avenger oh five five out of five stars yeah <laughs> i i just had this this movie's too fun to to you know go into any real criticism you know because it's that's trauma. That's just how they operate and you either you're on board for the wild ride or or you're gonna hate it uh, okay, so I don't think it's any secret what we think, so let's find out what other people are saying, Rob. We've got two scales here from RottenTomatoes.com. The tomato two score, scales. yeah, the tomato score from critics, which are often missing from our films that we do on this podcast because, frankly, the critics just don't want to go near them. <laughs> and then the audience score. But, you know, this is the Toxic Avenger, so we've got critics' scores. So... First, from 1 to 100, what do you think the tomato meter score is from critics, Rob, Ooh, for the Toxic event? From critics. I, I'm going to – I'll say for critics, I'll give it a 60%. Okay. Not not too bad of a guess. Toxic Avenger received a 70 from oh, critics. Yeah. And I'll give wow. you just a few tidbits from the critics here. Stephen Holden from the New York Times rates it as fresh and says, It may be trash, but it has a maniacally farcical sense of humor and Tromaville's evildoers are dispatched in ingenious ways. So nice. spot on there. Brian Orndorff from Blu-ray.com, no relation to Mr. Wonderful, also rates it as fresh, writing... 
still manages to trigger disgust and a handful of laughs, representing not only a key trauma financial victory, but it's quite possibly their finest original work. And then Dave Kerr from the Chicago Reader writes, Cruddy, primal, extremely violent, and fairly entertaining, it captures some of the snot-flicking spirit of the old (laughs) EC Comics. Now, EC Comics, also known as Entertaining Comics, published horror, satire, and dark fantasy genre comics in the 1940s and 50s, including the Tales from the Crypt series. Oh, there's a piece of knowledge right. I didn't so have before. Dave Kerr dropping dropping some knowledge there on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So thank you for that. Okay, Rob, how about your everyday Joe? What do you think the audience score <sighs> is on Rotten Tomatoes for the I d- I'm I I don't know anymore with stuff like this. <laughs> I you know <laughs> with with all my viewing of stuff on Shutter now, I always check those reviews and I'm constantly blown away by you know people's opinion of stuff so i i feel like i've my uh my scale has been warped by uh i i would love to say it's at like 80 percent but i'd probably say i'll say i'll go 50 i feel like i've tricked you enough times on this now it's not as fun (laughs) a year and a half in yeah uh the critics score is actually higher uh the audience score for the movie is 63 percent. so again not too far off there rob okay and you're right then in in thinking that it's not what you would think it would be i can't believe that we're saying this but the critics score is higher than the audience score for the toxic avenger um so just a few quick reviews here from from the regular audience members two diametrically opposed ratings coming up the first is from (laughs) jackson m who gives the toxic avenger four stars and begins with a quote from the movie his review reads and you can tell all your scum friends that things are going to change in this town i'm not just a another pretty face a tour de farce from the longest running independent movie studio of all times all time trauma's triumph of trash is unapologetically cruddy putrid and vulgar particularly in its aggressive first act but miraculously mutates into a voracious tongue-in-cheek superhero spoof thanks to a toxic vat of camp and fun striking big on a shoestring budget directing duo michael hers and lloyd kaufman Turn up the violence and gore to an extreme 11 with cheap special effects work that sometimes sickens yet never detracts from the film's goofy and warped charm. A few sleazy standouts include Michael Cohen as the titular monster and the sadistic fan favorite Gary Schneider and Sandy Farina's cheesy theme, Body Talk. 1984 saw this splatter comedy romp released to almost no reaction, yet today's Tromaville flagship crime fighter has destroyed evil in three subsequent sequels, an animated kids' TV series, a video game, and even its own successful musical. Not just a pretty face after all. Eight out of ten mops to the face. Bravo, Jackson M., for putting in the work on that review. Yes. My goodness. However, Rob, Andrew K. I'm tired after reading that review. That was, yeah, that was that was you did a phenomenal job doing it too. Andrew K. disagrees, giving it just two stars, and writes, "Wow, it was John Waters who once said that a London censor who turned down a showing of Pink Flamingos said, we do not know how to deal with purposeful bad taste.'" The Toxic Avenger is like if you asked a hormone-raging 13- to 14-year-old boy in the early 1980s who collects garbage pail kids to make up the most violent and sexual superhero story they could think of, then you made that movie on no budget with lots of blood, violence, and nudity, added racism and corruption, and actively paid people to crank their acting up to 11 on the ridiculousness meter, this is such a radioactively bad movie that it's actually astonishing that it exists. But the reason the rating isn't lower is that it knows it's bad and it did it on purpose. That, and it has a couple of small but blistering statements on religious hypocrisy and fascism in the police department. If you really <laughs> like bad movies, this could top them all. Ooh. Well, I mean, that they're not wrong with a lot of that. I, mean, I just can't believe they end up at that score. Uh, 
a blistering review, yet still somehow positive in the fact that it kind yeah. of anoints the Toxic Avenger as the king of B-movies, which it just might be, and then also yeah. also kind of calls it what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Andrew Kay also putting in work uh, for very descriptive um, yes. You know, whether whether we agree with them or not, I love it when people put in the work to try to nail down. And boy, the, just the description. I mean, I'm just imagining myself as a teenager with my garbage pail kids sitting down to try to write this movie. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So, um, you know, we know the answer, but, you know, Rob, it's been a while for both of us, as you referenced, probably since this was on USA Up All Night for you, you said, uh, did it age well for you? And do you think it's worth staying up all night for? I, well, I don't know if I could say it aged well, but it holds up. Uh, and yeah, absolutely worth staying up for. If you haven't seen it, you know, and you're, you're a B-movie fan at all, you have to you have to go back and visit this slice of of B movie history and, and see why trauma has the reputation that they do. And yeah. Yeah. I, look, I think that says it all. I really look forward to, I think that the, this, the new generation here that's going to discover the toxic Avenger when this remake is made and then they're going to discover the original and we're yeah. going to see, I think almost a, a mini resurgence at, for trauma, uh, there are a few cringeworthy moments I could do without some of the language yes. that's wildly appropriate to, into, to, well, it was wildly inappropriate then. It's certainly now. Um, and the scene with Sarah in the Mexican restaurant is disturbing to watch. Um, but the violence was so over the top that it just, it's comical. Um, mm-hmm. No one should or, or could take this movie seriously. <laughs> and it, it does, yeah, well, it, it does a good sorry. job in creating a satirical superhero in classic eighties B movie fashion. Uh, yeah, and it, it connects to what we said, you know, earlier today is that you know some jokes just don't age well, and you've got to accept that, and and you know, you know, look at the movie for when it was made, and and you know, either just roll with it, or you know, and I think it's definitely a sign of the times because it, that's a continuing theme yeah. on the movies that we review on this podcast that were made in this mid '80s time period that they're full of this. So this was clearly, these were clearly things that were being said and done in that time period that, that at the time the adults in the room thought were appropriate that yeah, yeah. now are clearly not, they, they weren't then. And, but now we know, and now we're, we're all smarter for it. So yeah, but it's definitely worth staying up all night for. And like I said, I look forward to this movie being discovered uh, by a whole new generation. Now, I guess maybe even two generations further. Uh, and, understand it for what it is you know like i mentioned earlier the the guerrilla filmmaking indie uh spirit that trauma embodies so well and uh and this this movie is just great at capturing that in so many levels yeah i'm super curious to see where they can can take some of the statements that were made in the movie um, in today's world, Absolutely. you know, how, how much are they going to shift that? What are they going to shift it to? Because clearly there's a lot of places they can go with our current political climate. So, yeah, and, you know, just love Peter Dinklage. So, yeah, yeah, that may be, uh, may be a movie that gets my butt to the theater. Yeah. And I hope that it does have some of that gritty grindhouse feel to it. Yeah. I hope that they put a little bit of a low budget purposeful look to it you know um when when um the movie ed wood was made tim burton would purposely do one takes only because well, he, yeah he I mean, wanted the, to, he, yeah he wanted the spirit of ed wood yeah and, achieve and, that yep. that mess that yes that made those the beautiful finds those yeah yeah so i uh, uh, hopefully i think that with kaufman and hers on board I, th- I think that that at least shows that they're respectful of the original uh, vision and, and, and product. At least, sorry. Yeah. Go I was ahead. just saying, at least acting wise, you know, some of the stuff that Macon Blair has been in it has had some of that in the movie that introduced me to him is called Blue Ruin. And it's, it's like a dirty revenge tale. Perfect. Um, and, and it has some of that and it, and there are scenes in it that, that, you know, sort of, I could easily say, you know, they had one shot to pull this off and that's how the scene turned out. So that's what we got. It uh, 
So I, I think it's in good hands. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Let's just roll this thing up and put it in a, in a barrel full of toxic waste. <laughs> it, See what a, comes out. <laughs> put a bow on the episode of the Toxic Avenger. Be on the lookout for the upcoming reboot. And do, if you have not already, try to catch the original uh, before you go watch the reboot. I think that's a great way to do it. I can't wait to see the direction they take this time around. Until then, uh, stay safe by staying out of health clubs. Uh, <laughs> find us on Facebook and Twitter, as always, at Still Up Podcast, and enjoy Sandy Farina's Body Talk. <laughs>